Hello listeners, this is your host, Richard Sverson. Unfortunately, after we edited this episode, we discovered that we had some technical sound issues. Now, I hope that these won't detract from your enjoyment of the discussion I had with Anna. The technical problems were, unfortunately, all of my own making and nothing to do with the edit. So, apologies and please enjoy. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montepulque Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. Amid much talk of market intervention, one country has already implemented measures aimed at shielding energy users from soaring prices. Following on from several episodes looking at proposals to fix the energy market, this week we look closely at the Spanish intervention. What is it and has it worked? Have there been any unintended consequences? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to discuss these issues is Anna Barrias of Aurora Energy Research. A warm welcome to you, Anna. Thanks, Richard. So, so why market intervention in Spain? Yeah, so it, Spain is no different than the, the rest of European countries in, in um, trying to shield consumers mm. from the high prices that we've been experiencing since mid last year, really. Um, there are some differences to, to the Spanish market, I think, which probably meant that Spain and Portugal together moved earlier than others did. Um, one is that consumers are fairly exposed to the wholesale price. So when you think about retail tariffs in the rest of Europe, um, a lot of them take into account kind of forward hedges or long-term contracts, or there's a tendency for the default tariff to be one that's fixed in some ways. In Spain, the default tariff, for lack of a better word, um, is actually exposed to wholesale prices. And that's a tariff that's used for vulnerable consumers. Mm. So there's been a lot of political pressure from the beginning to shield those consumers from the soaring prices. And would it be wrong to say then that the Spanish market was, was broken and that it needed fixing? Yeah, no, that, that's probably that's, that's not subject of much debate, as you know, mm. and among economists, kind of whether the kind of system mm. is broken or not. Um, I personally don't believe. Um, it is. Um, there are always imperfections with every market design, but the reality is that um, the way that the Spanish market works, the way that um, power markets work generally in most of the developed world, um, is the same that commodity markets work um, everywhere else. So at the core of, of the design is the idea that electricity is a homogeneous good, uh, and therefore our prices should be homogeneous. So um, we can talk a little bit about um, the, the details of how it's designed, but uh, in short, no, I don't think the, the market was broken. Perfect. Um, <laughs> let's then talk, talk in, in a little bit more detail about what, what Spain and, and Portugal yeah. did and how they intervened. Could you tell us a little bit about the so-called Spanish intervention and, and how it worked? So? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just for clarity, there have been... Um, several Spanish interventions since kind of the end of last year in September. The one we're talking about now is a the price cap, as, as it's called, or every exception is another way it has been described. Um, so what it does is it effectively caps the price of gas that can be used to submit bids into the wholesale market. Uh, what that means is that gas um, plants that are exposed to high uh, prices will see a regulated price effectively in terms of putting their bids into the market 
Uh, of course, they will face a higher cost when purchasing uh, that gas. So there's a compensation uh, that needs to be paid to them for the difference. Uh, the way that's done is the, the total cost of that compensation is then allocated to those consumers that are um, purchasing energy in the wholesale market um, to calculate an additional euro per megawatt hour cost. So what you will see if you look into kind of Red Electrica or RENS, which are the two TSOs in Spain and Portugal, is a um, price, a wholesale price, uh, and then a compensation adjustment uh, on top. Now, what this does is it effectively caps the um, inframarginal rents uh, of all generators that are below gas in the market order. Mm. So the gain to consumers come from, comes from that saving, uh, from the fact that you are not paying um, nuclear or, or renewables the price that would result from the market price of gas, but the cap price mm. of gas. Mm. So you're solving then the issue of high prices, certainly, and you're shielding the end users. But are you solving the issue which is at the core here, which is the lack of supply of gas, in a sense? No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. And, um, you know, I think that has been one of the, the key challenges uh, from the implementation of, of this measure. So what it has done is it has created prices in Iberia that are much lower than the rest of Europe. Now, of course, that was part of the plan and the objective. So from that perspective, the mechanism has worked. But what it has also done um, is increase the exports uh, of Spain, in this case, to France. Uh, now, traditionally, Spain um, imported energy from France. In this case, it's exporting uh, energy to France. Now, that in itself is not a problem. The problem is that it has caused the generation from CCGTs, from gas fire plants to increase. Mm. So the mechanism actually has resulted in almost a doubling, if not more, of the amount of gas used in the power sector. Mm. Now, this has been a very complicated year, and it would be unfair to suggest that that is solely the effect of the mechanism, because it is also true that we had a very hot summer, and so cooling demand increased, um, and we also have had very low hydro reservoir levels in Iberia, particularly in Portugal, or across Spain and Portugal. And so, you know, there are several reasons for this, but um, this mechanism has definitely increased the amount of gas consumption uh, mm. for power generation in Spain. So, I mean, an unintended consequence then you could say is that it's increased demand for, for gas. Absolutely, exactly what we should be trying to avoid. Mm, mm. Um, and, and that is the challenge with all of these mechanisms that um, impact the price that consumers see in one way or the other point. So prices have um, the effect of prices should be um, to guide consumption. When prices are high, people <coughs> should stop consuming, mm. uh, whether that's gas or electricity. In this case, obviously, by capping the, the price, then you've had an increase in consumption. Mm. So it's, it's very interesting. Do you think then this, this kind of intervention could work across Europe? No, so um, it's, it's, it's quite challenging and, and you would have seen that when um, the interventions that are being discussed uh, in Europe uh, are actually not a price cap, but a revenue cap. And, and we can go into, uh, into the differences 
um, that you know that creates it and why it, it is like that. Even though it sounds similar, it's it's a very important difference. Mm. Um, the reality is there there are several limitations to implementing something like this in the rest of Europe. Um, the first is that, as I just mentioned, one of the key challenges uh, of the implementation of the Iberian mechanism has been the increased exports to, to France and, and the price difference that it has created. Uh, if you think about the wider European context, um, Germany is interconnected with, I think, 13 different uh, kind of regions, mm -hmm. uh, all of which face slightly different gas prices, have a different generation mix. So it would be impossible to implement something like this and not distort the import and export signals um, that you know the market is is used to. Mm. Um, I think that's that's one. In terms of um, the effectiveness of it, I think um, there are also a couple of um, important differences. The first is that in Spain, um, a lot of um, as, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of consumers are actually exposed to the wholesale price, and so there is a fairly direct impact between capping wholesale prices and capping retail tariffs. Um, that is not necessarily the case in, in the rest of Europe. Of course, it's a very heter heterogeneous market and you know that, that varies across the, the different countries, but um, the Iberian market, Spain in particular, is an exception um, in that. So the impact wouldn't be as, as direct. And then the other important consideration related to that is the lack of long-term hedges typically in the Iberian market, which means that you are directly impacting consumers with this measure. Mm -hmm. uh, because the reality is that within the wholesale market in Iberia, liquidity hasn't been high historically. Mm -hmm. And so the majority of trades happen in the day ahead market. Mm -hmm. And so by impacting their head prices, you can have a direct impact on cost. Um, that is not the case in the rest of Europe. Again, it varies. Uh, by country, France, for example, um, all of the nuclear plant um, has long-term CFD contracts, for lack of a better term. Um, in Germany, you, you you probably can't have a significant impact because uh, a lot of the generation is actually in a one-way CFD. Yeah. But again, that varies across countries, and and so I think it would be fairly difficult to to implement something like that. Mm. I mean. When you're talking about the, the flows to, to, to France, you're talking power chiefly or power and gas? Or power. Power. Power, exactly. primarily. Yes. yes. So, um, and CFD is talking about uh, contracts with differences for those listening to are unaware yes. of that uh, yes. abbreviation. But um, have has the Spanish and the Portuguese governments, have they set a time frame for this intervention? When it will finally end? Because it's not, it's not a permanent measure, is it? No, no, it is not uh, a permanent measure. It is meant to go through the end of May of 2023. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the requirements uh, for the implementation of this measure early on when it was implemented, so this was implemented on the, in the, on the 15th of June uh, of, of 2022. Uh, and one of the requirements was that it was a temporary measure and that it would end um, you know, by the end of May of next year. Okay. And then... So there's always a danger, though, that there's a temptation when policymakers implement such a measure that it gets extended. I mean, do you think there's a likelihood that it could uh, be extended throughout all of next year, maybe? Um, yeah, no, I, I think there is, actually. And, and that is, again, um, some of the risk of, of these market interventions are, are the stickiness mm. uh, of them. So first, they create a precedent. 
Um, and um, I think in this case, uh, for example, when we talk about the European um, kind of context, the, the revenue cap is being discussed is at a high enough level. Um, but I think you, you could argue it continues to incentivize investment. That's the that's the argument. In the case of Iberia, prices have continued to be significantly higher than mm -hmm. I think realistically any investor could have hoped for a mm -hmm. couple of years ago. So from that perspective, I, I don't think it's it's been as detrimental to investment. The problem is that it sets a precedent for this type of intervention, and there's no guarantee that if it gets extended, if it gets re-implemented, it will be done at different levels and mm -hmm. levels that are less um, conducive to, mm -hmm. to investment. Um, and I also think the stickiness is a problem. The reality is that we don't expect in Aurora that um, gas prices will come down significantly mm -hmm. in the next kind of year or so. Um, mm -hmm. So the next winter, so the winter 23-24, um, we'll probably have a lot of the same issues, if not worse, depending mm -hmm. on how cold it is. Um, and so if the idea, the objective of these measures was to limit impact on consumers, that probably won't have changed mm. uh, by next winter. And it is likely that the measures get extended. Because, as you say, the, the situation is not, um, it, it doesn't look like it's going to ease any time soon. And, and I think once the storage levels uh, come down next year, and we're looking at another really grim winter um, right. in many ways. Um, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk and, and uh, certainly at the policy level within Brussels and at national government level to decouple power from gas. Yeah. Uh, has Spain succeeded there? Well, they have. I mean, this, this mechanism um, does decouple mm. uh, kind of power from, from gas. So from that um, perspective, um, I think they have. Um, whether I would call that a success from other perspectives around kind of market design and, and what that does to investment signals, and I don't mean renewables, I mean things like flexibility mm. uh, and storage, things that are incredibly important for the energy transition, then I, I'm not sure that's a, a success necessarily. Mm. If the narrow lens through which we are evaluating this is um, consumer prices uh, and limiting the impact of gas directly on consumers and I think it's fair to say that the mechanism has done what it was meant to do. Mm. But it could have, if I understand you correctly, I mean, it could have sort of ramifications for uh, the energy transition in effect delay or, or slow it down, slow down much needed investment as you say in, in batteries, in this sort of flexibility offers on both the demand and on the supply side. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about what the mechanism does, right, uh, and how things like batteries make money. Um, so what a storage asset will try to do is it will try to charge the battery when prices are lowest and discharge when prices are higher. So arbitrage within day prices, effectively. What this mechanism does is probably not a whole lot on the low end of prices, mm. but it caps the upside. Mm. So it reduces the spread that mm. batteries can make. Um, and therefore, um, you know, impacts the, the business case for, mm. for technologies like batteries. Obviously, it's not just batteries, but it's just an example to, um, to highlight kind of the, the consequences of something like this. Yeah, I mean, that brings me on to my next question, which has also been uh, criticized for potentially hampering investments. Oh, we have a siren outside <laughs> of Ghana. But um, um, is the, the Euro 118 hour revenue cap? Um, that's also been uh, been criticised for 
or you know potentially uh, stalling investment or maybe uh, you know creating uncertainty for, for, for investment. What, what's your view here? Is it is is the this cap a, a good idea? Yeah. So I you know so we talked a little bit about why a mechanism like the one in um, Iberia would have been difficult to implement at the European level. So I think what the proposal that the European Commission has put forward, which is a revenue cap set at 180 euros per megawatt hour. It's effectively a post, kind of after the fact, or ex, an ex post clawback mechanism on, on revenues. I think that the benefit, there's a couple of benefits from that mechanism versus a price count. First is that it doesn't affect wholesale prices. And so the challenges we were talking about in terms of flows, of power across borders, et cetera, are not necessarily um, distorted. I think that's that's an important um, kind of kind of benefit. Um, I think the 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 other benefits or, or 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 the other thing I can say it's been good in the way it's being proposed, and this we'll see if it's implemented, of course, um, is that it's at a high enough level uh, that it shouldn't have a huge impact on investment decisions, and and that was very much explicit in the proposal from the from the commission. You know, 180 is a price at which few investors, if any, would have considered kind of an offside of mm. revenues. Mm. Uh, so the fact that that's what's um, being used as a cap should be uh, a positive. I, again, um, I, I understand the pressure that um, the Commission is under to do something. Mm. Uh, it is an incredibly difficult situation for a lot of consumers and not just residential, but also industry. Mm. Um, there always, it's always a risk of market intervention, and, and that's probably the biggest challenge. I mean, we, we, this, this podcast, we're recording it early in the week, but we're going out on Friday yes. when we're, you know, there's kind of expectations of several measures uh, coming from the Energy Minister's meeting. What are your expectations here? Or what are your main concerns, maybe? I don't know if we can put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So listen, it, it's very hard to, um, to know, but but of the proposed measures will, will be implemented. I think there's probably a fair amount of support for the revenue cap. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's approved. Mm. Uh, I think there's a fair amount of support for efficiency measures and the reduction in demand that has been uh, proposed. I think that's fairly uncontroversial. Mm. How it's implemented, of course, will be um, the, how much it matters and how much it does um, is down to how it's implemented. But I think that's, you know, there's no reason to suggest that saving energy is not a good idea mm. uh, in this case. So I think that's, um, that's to be expected, I think. There's a few other measures, as you know, uh, that have been uh, proposed. But those, to me, are the ones that I think probably have the, the biggest support. I think my, my hope uh, for, um, for whatever comes out of this is just clarity mm. uh, on, on kind of for how long this will be. Um, implemented and you know with a with a dose of um, realism in terms of again if we're in a kind of dire situation kind of next next winter will this be extended I think it's almost better to flag that you know these are the conditions under which this has been approved and these are the conditions that have to change before we take this away I think that's probably to some extent better than the constant uncertainty once the period for which these measures have been proposed, which is through March of next year, I believe, um, you know, the, the sentiment of will this be extended, will, be, will it be kind of reintroduced again ahead of the winter, 
So I think clarity is probably my mm. my mm. biggest hope. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's what that's what um, clarity and a little bit of certainty in terms Absolutely. of how, how long these measures could potentially last, especially if we get to February and early March. And I mean, we need to sort of find out how long these things exactly. will be in place. But exactly. um, do you find that there's a kind of disconnect or or maybe even a rift between um, sort of energy ministers of the southern parts of Europe and those in the north? I mean, is, are they more they're more pro-interventionist or pro liable to step in and, 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 and to, to fix things for, for consumers rather than in the north or is that maybe an overgeneralization? No, I mean listen, we're 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 generalizing in, in this conversation in, in many ways, right? I mean mm. Europe um it is not a single market and we're talking about Europe as as it were. So um yeah we're we're generalizing anyway. I think there has definitely been um more history and more precedent on market intervention in southern Europe. Mm. I think it's fair to say that um, kind of the northern parts of Europe have been um, more hesitant to intervene and and very much pro-market. I think what is fairly surprising, not anymore, but it was fairly surprising from, from this debate a couple of months ago, is that it got to the point where Ursula von der Leyen and kind of uh, ministers from the northern countries were suggesting market interventions were needed. Mm. I think that's what's shocking. It's is that the change mm. to some degree that even in countries like Germany, uh, this um, there's been a lot of appetite for some sort of intervention. Mm. So I think that it, it's probably started that way when Iberia proposed the mechanism earlier in the year. It was very much the outlier, and it was very much a sentiment of okay, you know, you get an exception because you're different, you're an island, you have little forward trades, et cetera, fine, you go ahead and do it, but we're only going to allow it temporarily to the rest of Europe, actually, even looking to Iberia to see mm. whether something like that could have to, been implemented. To follow the exactly. Spanish example, really, in a exactly. way, it's, it's certainly not an outlier anymore, is it? Exactly. It's, it's more the, the standard, if you like, the standard coming measure. It's very interesting. Also, I find very interesting is that the, the language used at the Commission now, you know, they're looking at regulated prices, or yeah. uh, which they've always railed against in the past and tried to, to undo them, and also long-term contracts, yeah. you know. Um, so there's been quite a, 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 a U-turn, if you like, or, or a change in, in direction. Um, of course, given the, the, the immense pressure and, 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 the, and the crisis that we're in. So, you know, it's, in a way, it's sometimes, it's understandable. But... I'd like to, we've talked about these emergency measures, these yes. sort of short-term, uh, inter, you know, interventions, but there are also other plans on the table for more longer-term reform of market design. What's, what's your view here? Um, is the marginal, you know, the, the marginal cost uh, model, is that broken? Does it need fixing? Is it, is it going to be fit for purpose when we come into uh, markets which are far more, uh, have far more, um, far more renewables than they do now when we're getting close to sort of maybe 80, 90, 100%. Yeah, so uh, again, um, this is this is my view. Um, economists um, kind of differ as to kind of what the answer to this is. Um, I do not think um, the market is, is broken. Again, I think something that is often um, misconceived um, is that the marginal price system is unique to power markets, mm. um, and it isn't. Right. Um, if you go to the supermarket, you pay a price for cucumber. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. 
um, you know, there's differences that might be organic or not, but uh, largely, you know, the idea of you're buying one commodity and, and the price is homogeneous, it applies to commodity markets everywhere. So it is not unique to, to power. Um, it is also probably worth saying that marginal price systems haven't been the way markets have always been organized, um, but it has been the way most markets have transitioned to. Mm. What that suggests is that there have been other ways that have been tried uh, and um, marginal price systems like the one we have now have been deemed to be the most um, efficient way of organizing power markets. And if you look across the last 20 years, um, they have led to innovation and lower prices um, for, for consumers. There are interesting case studies in the US, for example, uh, where the transition to an ISO type market or TSO market, which is organized in the same way that Europe is, has lowered prices for, for consumers. So I don't think it's broken from that, from that perspective. Um, the problem we have now is not a problem with the mechanism, it's a problem with high gas prices and our reliance on high gas prices. Um, what a market is meant to do is provide investment signals and Again, that's what the market right now is is doing. Mm. Um, so no, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's broken. I don't think it needs fixing. Um, I have heard other alternatives proposed, effectively separating, uh, and there's many flavors to this. But it probably boils down to a separation of infram what would we call now inframarginal technologies, so things like renewables, nuclear, hydro, into a separate pool, and those things like gas plants, um, whether that's combined cycles or, or peaking plants and other flexible technologies. And listen, I'm not suggesting um, that, you know, there isn't a way to make this work. I think there's a lot of challenges in those designs <coughs> we probably won't get into that um, would need to be sorted before we can deem that a better mechanism than the one we have now. And that's just not something that I think can be done in a few months. I think it's something that would take couple of years at least mm. uh, to, to implement. It's certainly not lacking in complexity. Absolutely. No, no, it isn't. And the, and the more you peel the layers of the proposals, the more issues you find mm. uh, with them. I think one of the most difficult things to, to do, which I think will become increasingly important in the future, is locational signals. Mm. Um, you know, the, the way the market is designed now allows for this have to be no robot, locational signals in markets. That becomes incredibly difficult if what you end up having is separate auctions for this type of technologies. Effectively, we would be saying that you would need kind of a different auction for wind in one part of the country versus another. And that's just to me, it, it, it sounds very difficult to manage. That's that's just one difficulty. Absolutely. I think it's a subject that I'd very much like to return to with you, Anna, when we have a little bit more on the table, a little bit more, a little bit more meat. It seems to be very kind of vague uh, uh, and a little bit sort of sketchy. But uh, Anna, thank you very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. Thank you, Richard. It was great to be here. So, listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.